0: I invite you to remain standing for our scripture reading. We'll read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Let's read God's good word together. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Changing your perspective can change everything. Our youngest daughter's been reminding me about this. She turned two today. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, that's exciting. I'll have to. T- too bad I didn't say that while she was in here. She could have uh, appreciated that. But she's two and learning all kinds of things, and and just everything is exciting. As I was holding her today, she was looking up and counting the. Li- I don't. She can't really count yet, but she was looking at all the lights, and I don't. You know, they're always there. I don't notice them, but uh, something about being held over someone's shoulder, you notice things. And uh, sometimes just changing the way that you're looking at things uh, makes all the difference. And uh, she's learned this recently. If Whenever she looks through her legs, that, uh, that things are different, and she thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, it, I remember doing that maybe a little bit older than her, and, and just you, things don't look right. Right? All of these things look like they should be falling because they're on the ceiling now. I, I have this, I don't, not quite a memory, but almost more of an impression of, of basically doing that, looking, you know, bending over, looking between my legs whenever I was outside. And then just like looking up and it felt like I was about to fall a really long way. It kind of freaked me out. And uh, I, I don't know if I went outside for a while after that. <clears throat> but you just look at things differently. Like just looking at things upside down, huh, things don't look the way that they used to. And whenever we change our perspective, perspective, it can change us. It doesn't change the, the, the way that things are. Things are, are the same, but we're different, and it makes all the difference. So that's what we're going to look at today as we continue looking at the Gospel of Luke. We're in week three of our sermon series Jesus and the Outsiders, Outcasts, and Outlaws. And um, over the last few weeks, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke and looking at the things that, Jesus, that um, the, the, the evangelist Luke tells us about the life of Jesus. And particularly in the Gospel of Luke, we see that Jesus reached out to people who, who weren't appreciated, who were outcasts, who were looked down on, even, even people who had turned their backs on God and the people of God. And we see that throughout. And, and so, where we We've been um, what we learned in week one was that Jesus healed the sick, he touched the untouchables, and he ate with sinners. And a lot of the things that happen in the Gospel of Luke take place around a table. And uh, so we see one of those at a banquet that the the disciple Matthew threw after Jesus had invited him to follow him. Um, this is what happened: the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, saying, "Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners?" And Jesus answered, "Those who are well have no need of a physician." But those who are sick, those who are sick are the ones who need to go to the doctor. And that's who Jesus came for. And uh, he also lets them know subtly, like, by the way, you're sick too, even if you think you're not. Everyone needs healing. We all do. And so that's who Jesus came for. Not just people who have it all together and are on the up and up, but people who desperately need healing. And uh, what Pastor Mark taught us as we saw the way that God worked through all kinds of people, people who are really old, people who are really young, is that there's nothing too about you. You are just right for whatever God calls you to do. You're just right. There's no too anything. I'm too inexperienced. I'm, I have too much experience. I, I'm too poor. I'm too rich. Whatever it is, God can use you, and God wants to. So whether you've been poor or rich, rejected or dejected, sick or humiliated, God wants to use you to lift up the lowly. So that's where we started. Last week, uh, what we saw was that being truly seen and noticed makes us come alive. And that's what happened whenever Jesus noticed people, whenever you really saw them, particularly the people who no one else paid attention to, is that they came alive. And particularly, one of the things that we see in the Gospel of Luke is that Jesus reaches out to, notices, and empowers women. And so for us who follow him, uh, disciples today, followers of Jesus affirm, honor, and lift up women. That's something that all of us do. There's, there's, no, uh, there's no subjugating women. There, there's no inequality. That's, that's not how it works for the people of Christ because we see that in his example. He lifts up all of us and none above the others. And whenever we do that, whenever we lift others up, whenever we see ourselves as Jesus sees us, whenever we're seen by him, it means that we can be fully who we are created to be, that we don't have to try to project something for everyone else to try to appear better than we are. We can be who we are and allow him to work in our lives. And uh, we can live out what the prophet Isaiah says, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And that's what we can live that out. We can know that God has named us, God has called us, and we are gods. And so that's where we've been today. What we're looking at is the teachings of Jesus. And, uh, and you probably know this, but uh, the way that Jesus taught, he had a particular method, and frequently the way that he taught was through parables. He taught through parables. And uh, what those parables do is they help us to see things differently. The word parable comes from two Greek words, para and valo, uh, which basically means to throw alongside. And so what he's doing is, is he's making comparisons. He's taking uh, something in real life, and he's telling a story that, that puts it alongside it, that helps you to see that, that original thing in a different way. And whenever he teaches these things, it's not usually like something that's easy to pick up, that, oh yeah, that's obvious. It actually often challenges our expectations. He helps us to see things that we might not have seen otherwise. And there's frequently a twist. Sometimes we need a little help to see it because, you know, 2,000 years in an ocean in between us and a whole lot of cultural change um, obscures some of the things that he was saying. But it helps us to see things differently. His stories draw us in and they invite us to see things from a new perspective. And that new perspective can change the way that we live in the world. And so that's what we're looking at today, and we'll look at one particular parable. There are tons of parables in Luke, and, uh, and in fact, Luke has some of the best-known parables. Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Prodigal Son, both of those, uh, two of the best-known, and, uh, and appear only in the Gospel of Luke. And so there, there's a lot that we can choose from. We'll look at one particular one. And so uh, we start, of course, with the context, with the setup. What is, uh, so what, what is Jesus teaching us about, and what is the context that he's teaching in. And so this is what Luke tells us. Um, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. And so he's talking to people who who think pretty highly of themselves and think that they're better than others. Now, it's interesting. You, You make assumptions based on that verse about who he was talking to. So who do you think? probably like the scribes and Pharisees, right? He doesn't actually tell us that. Luke doesn't tell us that, though. And in fact, the last group that that we know Jesus was speaking to, if you go back uh, to the previous chapter, he was talking to disciples. And and so that maybe should catch our attention. Jesus might not just be talking to other people. He might be talking to us, too. And so he's speaking to a group that may have included both Pharisees and his disciples, uh, people who who regardless of where they fell in that needed to know something about not just trusting in in themselves and particularly not regarding others with contempt and so that's that's the context that he's speaking in and and we get a little bit more just as he starts his story so this is how it starts out he says two men went up to the temple to pray one a pharisee and the other a tax collector And so uh, we assume a lot based on that, right? I mean, you kind of know, um, I mean, the story we just looked at, if you're just reading through the Gospel of Luke, um, you know certain things like, you know, most of the tax collectors that we see, they they end up uh, starting off low, but then Jesus invites them in. Jesus is kind to them. They're actually lifted up. And the Pharisees typically come off not too well right? Uh, they, they actually come off as hypocrites, as people who are all about the rules and, and can't let other people in. And, and in fact, that, that connotation is so prevalent. I mean, even if you're not religious in our culture today, you know the word Pharisee, right? I mean, somebody who's legalistic, as somebody who's typically hypocritical, who's all about the rules and doesn't really care about people. I mean, we use that word to describe people. And, and so it's hard for us to recognize that connotation didn't exist in Jesus' time. It was actually the opposite. Pharisees were really highly regarded in Jesus' time. They were looked up as people who not only knew the law really well, but who lived it out. And in fact, they they were almost rock stars. And and if you think about um, the stories of Jesus calling his disciples, whenever he called uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and they just left everything to follow him, that's because being invited to to follow a a teacher uh, to follow a rabbi in those days, it was a really big deal. And uh, it was an honor to even be asked. And and so these were people who were looked up to, um, the Pharisees. They were people who who were appreciated. And they were people really who helped to preserve their faith and their culture in the midst of a Roman occupation, whenever the people of Rome were dominating them. And and so that's what was going on. And, And and. and how Pharisees were looked at, tax collectors, on the other hand, were the opposite. they were people who exploited their own people for the enemy. They got rich off of exploiting their own people. And so they would work for Rome and uh, basically took taxes away from their people. And not only that, but basically they had a set amount that they had to collect for the Roman government. And then whatever they took on top of that, they got to keep. And so they would get rich by taking a lot more. And so if you remember John the Baptist teaching, what, what did he say to uh, tax collectors? Take only what you're owed. Like don't don't steal on top of that. And yet that's, that's um, how those people were regarded. They had betrayed their people. And they were basically had turned their backs on God and, God's ways in order to enrich themselves. They were serving people um, who did not respect God. And, and so when you hear that a tax collector and a Pharisee are going up to the temple to pray, the really surprising part is that the tax collector would even bother. Like, why would he even go up to pray? He obviously doesn't care about God or, or being in right relationship with God. He's just out for himself. He's just trying to get rich. He's turned his back on our people. He's turned his back on God. What does he care? What's, he, what's his game? And so this is how uh, Dr. Amy Jill Levine describes how Jesus' hearers would have heard this. He says, were Jesus to have told this parable to a group of Jews, they would have begun with the impression that the Pharisee was pious and righteous and the tax collector sinful and self-interested. And so that's the way that Jesus' hearers would have heard it. That's the setup. You've got these two people going to pray. One of them, you know, is the good guy. Hooray, Pharisee, we're rooting for you. Tax collector, maybe like don't even bother going to the temple. We know you're not up to anything good. Maybe you're just going to take money out of the temple treasury for yourself. I mean, that's what they would have thought. But then there comes, as with every good story, a twist. Jesus doesn't leave us with our first impressions. And so they've made it to the temple. Whenever they arrive, the Pharisee and the tax collector both begin to pray. And uh, Jesus tells us how how the Pharisee prays first. He says, "'The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, "'God, I thank you that I am not like other people, "'thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector.'" I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. And what he's doing there, as he's describing what he's doing, it's not actually as bad quite as it sounds. I mean, it's still, Jesus is not lifting this up as an example. There are some ancient prayers that we have that, that are similar to this. And thanking God, you know, that, that I am not a murderer. It's basically recognizing that God has delivered me from doing things like murdering people. And if you've ever dealt with a really difficult person, maybe you appreciate that God helped you not become a murderer as well. I mean, you can kind of get into that headspace. But but, uh, but whenever he's talking about the things that he does, whenever he talks about giving, um, fasting twice a week, he's going way above and beyond there. That wasn't a common thing in that no one expected people to fast twice a week. So that was like going way above and beyond what was normally expected of people. And then giving a 10th of all of your income, the key word there is all. And so he's talking about not just, you know, if I get paid something, I, you know, I I count and I give 10% back. Or, you know, if I have a harvest, which he's he's probably not doing as a Pharisee, um, Counting my grain and then giving 10% and keeping the 90%. I mean, he's talking about every single thing that he gets. Like, if he has an herb garden, he's going, I mean, and this is the example that Jesus gives in a different place in the scripture. He's like counting leaves. He's like, okay, my mint plant. And you know how mint plants are? I mean, they go nuts. That's a lot of leaves. And so he's like counting like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, this one is God's. One, two, three, four, five. And that's why, I mean, every single thing. And have you ever seen dill? Do you know what that looks like? Can you imagine trying to count that many leaves? So this guy was serious. I mean, he was not messing around. And in fact, Jesus is, is painting him purposefully as a caricature like this is someone who's like so good this is like somebody who reads their bible cover to cover every week and they don't have time to do everything else because that's all that they can do so he's really trying to tell us that this person is really super righteous his piety goes far beyond what's expected to the point of being almost ridiculous and so this is someone who's great obviously he lives eats breathes and drinks the things of god and despite all of that he falls into the trap of self-righteous judgment because that, that, the part particularly where he goes wrong is, thank you for not making me like that tax collector. Thank you for not making me like him. And in praying that way, he's putting someone else down. He's not just thanking, you know, thank you, God, for helping me to be faithful to you. But thank you for not making me like that person who is awful, who, who is your enemy. And in doing that, he falls into this trap that, that, unfortunately, each of us is vulnerable to of becoming self-righteous and looking down on others to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. This is the way Adam Hamilton puts it. He says that the problem is that, that people like this, the, that religious people, is that they're blind to their own sin but are far too willing to communicate their judgment of, sins, of the sins of others. They don't see the fact that uh, that they're doing things wrong, right? I mean, this Pharisee's talking about all the stuff that he does. He's missing the fact that he's judging someone, which the scriptures are very clear we're not to do. And yet he's happy to put himself above the lowly tax collector. Yeah, thank you for not making me like this awful person. He's completely blind to it, but is happy to let the tax collector know where he stands. And, and so it creates this juxtaposition because the Pharisee is totally blind to his own sin. He's totally blind to his judgment. But the tax collector sees his own sinfulness. He can actually see it. The person who we would think would never be aware of it, he doesn't even recognize it. He doesn't have eyes to see that. And, and yet he does. So this is how the tax collector prays. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me. A what? A what? A sinner. He recognizes it. We're like, why would this guy even go up to the temple to pray he's a sinner? And it's like, wait a second, he knows it. He knows it, and he's asking for mercy. And so the way that the, the Pharisee was praying, like with his eyes up to heaven, that was, that was the normal way that you prayed in those days. That, that was the kind, you know, like today we like bow our heads and, and put our hands together, that's normal for us. So like how the, ter- the Pharisee was praying was normal. So what the, what the tax collector was doing was abnormal. And again, almost a caricature of humility, the fact that, that you would bend down on the ground like that and do that is, uh, is pointing out the fact that this is someone who really sees his own lowliness and is asking for mercy. And so Jesus totally takes our expectations and flips them as he's telling the story. And as he does so, he reveals to us that there's a trap that we can fall into. Because one of the things we recognize is it's easy for us to look at the Pharisee and say, that's wrong. You shouldn't judge people like that. You don't put other people down to build yourself up. But we recognize that pride is an ever-present threat, not just for him and not just for other people, but for us as well. And so I, I was reading this story this week, and, and I was thinking through you know, this, the, the way that you know people do what, what Hamilton was talking about, how religious people have this tendency just to be completely blind to their own sins, but then looking down on others and judging them. And then I started thinking of people who I know who do that. And then I realized, I just did what Jesus was talking about. Like, this is supposed to be for other people. Jesus, why, why are you trapping me in this? Because as soon as we identify people who are like the Pharisee, we've fallen into the trap. We've done the exact thing that we condemn the Pharisee for doing. And it's so easy to do, right? Because no one likes that whenever people are hypocritical, whenever they talk about, you know, how great they are with Jesus. And then we see them doing all these other things. And it's just like, there, there's a disconnect that everyone else can see. And yet whenever we point that out, whenever we feel good about ourselves, because I'm not like that, oops, we become the Pharisee in this parable. And so he invites us to something better. He points it out, and and by telling it in a parable, I mean, I don't think, I know not to judge, but whenever someone, whenever I read Jesus saying that, that specifically, I don't feel it in the way that I felt it in the way that I did when I was reading this parable right? Whenever i caught myself doing the things that the Pharisees doing, it hit me in a different way. And that's what, what these parables do for us. We can experience them in a way that we can't if someone's just teaching us head on, right? If you've got kids, you know how this works. You tell them a thousand times the same thing, and they never listen, and then they come home from school one day. It's like, my teacher told me this, and it was so profound. It's like, what are you talking about? Like, I've told you this so many times, but because they heard it from someone else, it changed their perspective, And that's what these parables do. It enables us, we can hear differently than we can whenever we're just told directly. And so it opens up new possibilities. We recognize the things that we need to let go of, like judging. And so what we see through us is Jesus loves and accepts and forgives us as we are. He welcomes the tax collector and says, come, I love you, you are welcome. Come to the temple to pray, I forgive you. He also commands us to repent of our sin. And so he invites the tax collector, yes, come, you are welcome. And also stop stealing from people. Change your life. And he says to the Pharisee, yes, you are loved, way to go, you're awesome. All that fasting is great, and wow, I can't believe you counted all those leaves, but that's great too that you want to do that for God. But stop judging people. Stop judging people. Because that, whenever we look for things that other people do, we can't address our own stuff. We can't grow whenever we're focused on, that, on, that, on those kinds of things. And I think it's so helpful to, to recognize because condemnation is a sign that we feel shame or denial about our own sin and shortcoming. Whenever we see really clearly the sins of others, it usually means that there's something that we don't want to deal with in ourselves, that, that we feel terrible about, that we think makes us a bad person, or it's just stuff we can't deal with. Like, I've got to look away from that. I, I, don't, I want to pretend like I don't know that that exists. That's what happens whenever we're condemning or we're projecting. This is what uh, Richard Rohr says. He says, We need to acknowledge, forgive, and heal all that lurks inside of our own shadow, or we'll continue to distort reality by projecting all that we hate within ourselves onto other people and the world around us. And until we can do that, he says, we will objectify and demonize an individual or group, never understanding that what we hate in another is merely what we hate in ourselves whenever we're looking down on people and condemning them and just seeing how awful those folks are, it's usually because we don't like that about ourselves. That's what Jesus opens up to us, is he helps us to recognize the stuff that I'm projecting I need to actually address. And that's the key. Is being able to actually receive it. And so this is how Jesus concludes his parable. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other, speaking of the tax collector. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be will be exalted. And the great news for us is that wherever you fall on that, because I, I know some of us are Pharisees and we're pretty great, and we're surrounded by people who are pretty awful, and we're really clear on that, right? or at least we live there sometimes. But some of us are tax collectors, or we have moments like that, where all we can do is look down and recognize our own unworthiness. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus wants to save both the humble and the exalted. So whether you're a Pharisee or a tax collector, he says, yes, come to me. Leave that other stuff behind. I'll help you do it. But come, I've come for you. And once we accept that Jesus accepts us where we are, We can be set free from denial and from comparison, from that need to look at others and try to figure out how do I stack up? Am I good enough? Are they better than me? Am I worse than them? We can just be who we are and recognize, yes, I've got my stuff. There are things that I need to work on. There are sins I need to repent of, but I'm accepted. The theologian Paul Tillich says one of the hardest things to do is accept our own acceptance. Whenever we do that, it can totally change everything. And then the more we grow, the greater our awareness of our own need for grace and the greater our compassion for others. Because we recognize the Pharisee learns to recognize, yeah, you know, I have days where I'm like that too, and uh, I can relate. I've got my own stuff that I need to work on, and I can actually maybe become friends with a tax collector. Maybe we could actually live together in the same community. Which is what jesus does by the way right i mean he invites the tax collectors and says come he also invites the zealots who, who are you know trying to violently overthrow them and, and you know tax collectors probably are afraid for their lives if they have to bunk together which is maybe what jesus invited them to do everyone is welcome And you know sometimes that feels unfair especially whenever you're the one who's doing it right you know i, I get i I'm, I'm yeah god's grace is for everyone but even for him Like, right? I mean, even for those people that, I I get the kind of bad people, but the really bad people, yeah, even for them. This is what Adam Hamilton says, grace is unfair. None of us deserve it. And that is what makes it grace. The fact that none of us deserve it. And you know what the beautiful thing is? Whenever you're feeling that unfairness, like, why should they be forgiven? They've done way worse stuff than I have. Is We can recognize it's not about us anyway it's about who God is. It's about who God is, the God who invites all of us regardless of who we are. It can change our perspective. And uh, just like looking between your legs and uh, checking out the room upside down can shift things, whenever we receive that from Jesus, whenever he shows us those things that he teaches us in parables, it can totally change the world. So I want to invite you to try to live that out with me this week, um, our action steps. First, I want to invite you to pray what's called the Jesus Prayer, and uh, this has been practiced for uh, hundreds, maybe thousands of years. I don't know when it originated, but, but it comes from this scripture, and particularly it's practiced in the Eastern Orthodox Church, but it's a, a breath prayer. It's the kind of prayer that basically you, you, almost becomes a meditation. As you breathe in, you pray the first part, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. And as you exhale, you, breathe the, you pray the second part, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so I want to do that a, a few times, just invite you to breathe in and pray this as we do. And so if you take a deep breath in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and exhale, have mercy on me, a sinner. And uh, let's just do that a couple of times and, uh, and practice it. So breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe out, have mercy on me, a sinner. Breathe in, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, and breathe out. Have mercy on me, a sinner. As we continue to pray that, it becomes almost like an inner monologue. And and the purpose isn't looking down on ourselves. It's not becoming like the Pharisee and just thinking, or not, not like becoming like the tax collector and thinking about how bad we are. But it's recognizing that we need grace and accepting that the person that we're talking about, the Son of God, gives it to us freely. And we recognize who we are and where we are and that we're in His good grace always. And as you practice that, then, whenever you notice yourself judging others, because, I I mean, if you're human, you're probably going to do it, like, maybe while you're driving home and somebody cuts you off. Thank God for the gift of grace and practice extending it to others. And it takes a lot of practice. It's not something that you're just like, okay, I read this parable. I'm good now. I'm never going to do that again. You're going to do it probably frequently. But practice. Because whenever we notice that we're doing it, that's the first step. We realize, oh, yeah. I'm doing what the Pharisee was doing. And then we can take a step back. And we can recognize, you know what? I can let this go because God has forgiven things in me that I'm ashamed of. And God can forgive that person who cut me off, right? We can embody for others the forgiveness of Christ. Will you pray with me? God, we're grateful for your forgiveness. And we're grateful that for the ways that you help us to see our own need for that forgiveness. We thank you for your grace, for the way that you love us and show us the way. And we pray that you would help us to love your people as well and to forgive as you do. We thank you for Jesus' grace, for his teaching. And we thank you that he taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done